Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Happy Being Well. I have an exciting guest today and me and her totally speak the same language. So I'm super, super duper excited to get this podcast rolling. We have Lenny Rivera, who is the owner of Workplace Experience Consulting. And we are going to talk about, um, you know, how love really is missing in corporate and, you know, in American corporate culture. And most Americans are working in corporations. Um, I was once one of them myself, so I can totally speak to my experience on how, you know, this predominant culture of bullying is very prevalent in corporate America and how basically their behavior is being rewarded and they're the ones end up thriving in that organ in those types of organizations. Um, and how really that how that translates into our greater culture, because after you know our personalities, your behavior gets molded. Let's face it, we are working more than spending time with our families or friends. I mean, most of our lives are spent in the workplace, like, you know, and even the eight hour day um, is not even eight hour day anymore. It's like, <laughs> it's like a myth now. It's actually longer uh, due to technology and cell phones and laptops um, and keeping up with the ever demanding workload where people are now taking their work home just to keep up and meet their deadlines. So before we dive deep into this very, very much needed topic, um, this podcast is sponsored by happybeingwell.com, your online store for creative on yoga leggings, crystals, natural soaps, natural candles, natural deodorants, and natural 100% natural facial masks, and much more self-care goodies at happybeingwell.com. And uh, anybody who purchases any self-care products from this podcast, you can use code podcast 25 for 25% off any products. So, um, so let's go back to Lenny. <laughs> I want to say, I always want to say Lena. Yeah. <laughs> Did it right. <laughs> so this is what you do. Like, this is awesome. Like, this is like, you create positive workplace environments. And I, you know, and I totally agree. And you know, because when I, okay, let's, one thing is most people, like everyone's motivated differently. So I always thought, you know, most of the corporations adopt this like fear-based motivation is probably because they think that most people, once they are fear of losing their jobs, they're going to, you know, they're going to start working harder, right. Not to not, um, lose that job. Right. So, um, Whereas for me, I'm not motivated, you know, out of a fear, I'm more toward motivation. So I like, I work hard because I enjoy the journey of, you know, strengthening my skill sets and seeing what I can create and achieve. And then of course it's the end result of success and that feels good. And um, so, you know, so how do you mitigate between, you know, people's, Unless it's unless people just the people that are are motivated by fear, maybe they just transmute into being motivated 
you know, through um, just simple achievement. And you, and you discussed too earlier that you're seeing a change, you know, due to the pandemic. So just talk to us about, yeah, like why, why is corporate America, like why are the bullies still prevailing after, you know, we've, we, it's been how many years since the industrial, you know, revol revolution, it's been like what, since the fifties <laughs> and we're still before that 1800s. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we, we ended up graduating to many, to many, to factories, I think in the fifties. Um, and then there was the person that, um, he totally molded the manufacturing process and that was Taylor. I forget his first name, but there was uh, it was Taylorism and he was observing workers um, and he was literally like um, observing how much they took time to finish each task. He literally was watching them 24 seven, their breaks, everything. Um, and he was the, you know, literally the godfather of this attitude of, um, you know, like workers, you know, they're kind of like the, their natural habitat is like laziness and they need to be, um, you know, given a very rigid structure or else they won't produce a lot of labor. And so therefore he was strategically clocking how long everything took on average, uh, you know, clocking everybody's time. You know, I don't know how long it took to screw in a bolt or something like that, um, take something off the conveyor belt or whatever. And then he literally set in those mechanisms um, in terms of structuring the workforce, in terms of time and stuff like that. So he made, he made it very mechanical uh, in terms of the, you know, work, how humans work in a workplace in that time. So, and then it, you know, then it kind of grew from there, but yeah, Taylorism was the kind of the godfather of, I would say HR. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, the thing, there has been a lot of change in workplaces through history and in different places, in different times, in different, um, in different environments all over the world. And what you're talking about specifically, that really happened during the time where manufacturing became such a big thing and the conveyor belt system and, um, and the assembly line and even like Toyota, for example, in, in Japan came, came up with a book and they became established in the industry for being very, uh, creating a productive uh, conveyor belt assembly line system mm -hmm. that was effective, right? And there, there are Sigma belts that are aligned with that idea of making sure everything is efficient, everything goes in a row. Um, it's um, McDonald's is another one, another example of an efficiency. And while I don't mean to bog that down because there is a place for that, there is a place for that um, being efficient and timing everything down to the second to make sure that everything happens according to, you know, make sure that productive happen, productivity happens at a certain timeline. There is a place for that, but it is not for everything for sure. And it's not, there is not no place for that in the creative industry, in corporate America industry, in retail, maybe in um, advertising. It's not the same and it shouldn't be the same. And to copy paste that kind of ideology, I guess, or workplace ideology think, in all different workplaces is not correct. Do you, in your, in your experience, do you think, you know, advertising agencies, um, you know, any other type of agency that you know any corporation that has a 
you know, working in marketing or whatever it is, you know, you have to infuse that creative element. Do you think that um, there's now like elements of this Taylorism adopted in corporations? No, I'm not saying that it's not adopted. I'm saying that it shouldn't be um, because you're right. And, you know, I'm in the workplace experience industry and I am surprised by a lot of tools and a lot of tools and technology that are in the corporate world now, whose main purpose is to measure people's productivity, which really the only reason why a technology um, a tool or a leader would want to know your productivity and based on how much time do you put into your work and how the time that you put into what is the output of your productivity and to measure that. The only way, the only reason they'd want to know that is because they're putting numbers to you. They're putting, they're attaching an ROI to you. How much are you bringing to the business in terms of ROI, in terms of numbers, in terms of, in terms of profit? And that's why I'm saying it's broken. That's why I'm saying it's broken. And, you know, your question earlier about, um, you know, how the how organizations are so toxic now. There was a Gallup poll that was released before the pandemic that every everybody in the workplace industry had referred to because it said that 70% of America's um, workers are unhappy with their jobs, severely disengaged and unhappy with their jobs, 70%. That's huge. That means that 70% of people are not happy. Okay, that that is today not surprising anymore because that is reflected in the great resignation. People have, you know, we spoke earlier about how, you know, one of the one of the silver linings of the pandemic, and I don't mean to undermine the difficulty and the tremendous challenge that the pandemic has had on most of us, many of us, all of us. But the silver lining is because, sorry, it's my cat, because we were forced to work from home and stay at home and shelter in place, we were forced to take time to pause and be with the people that we love. Look, re, all of a sudden people are losing each other, people are losing family members, losing friends to this COVID, to this COVID, you know, virus. And we now take stock, we understand what's important to us, what's valuable to us, that life is fleeting. And so we've come to connect with our purpose, with what is valuable to us, the people and things that we value, that add value into our lives. So when there was now, it's not a coincidence that very early this year, when companies started talking about returning to the office, very shortly after that is when the great resignation began and has continued since. And the reason for that is because all of a sudden people are now face to face with the things that they that do not align with their value system. I cannot I can no longer work with managers who this who do not value me. I work so hard. I work so well. And this is how much you pay me. This is how much I'm being treated. And like what you were saying, when there's a culture of fear where it's toxic and people are trying to just throw each other under the bus to gain momentum and you know climb the ladder. It's a toxic, horrible environment that once you're connected with your purpose and with your humanity, you realize how wrong it is and you don't want to be a part of that anymore. And so that's what, you know, the, the, the pandemic has really gifted, I like to say gifted workers with is that knowledge and that empowerment to know, you know what, I'm not going to take this anymore. I don't want this. I'm not going to take this. And that's why working from home is so valuable to people. 
and it's not going anywhere. And it's also why the people who were the leaders, who are like what you were saying, narcissistic or uh, sociopaths, psychopaths, these people, they're now the ones who are wanting to gain back control, have everybody back to the office because they've lost control. When you talk about, when you talk about being micromanaging is what you were trying to say earlier, where they just want to look at what you're doing, make sure you're doing it the way that they want to do and managing you to make sure, okay, even the conveyor belt system in the wrong environment is how much are you doing? How much are you producing? Because I need to know that really is about power and control. And it really has to do with social psychology. And I know that you had, you had been saying that, you know, it was a loaded question that you had asked and that's why I didn't forget it. And you said, why, why are work workplaces, why are people motivated by destroying other people? Why does that happen? And it is a loaded question because it is such a true, true question. And only people who are connected with their souls really can ask that question earnestly because the people who are doing that, they don't think they're doing that. And there have been studies, social psychology studies, that have shown that when you are amidst other people who are bullying other people, also when you are given power and when you're given a place of power over other people, even the nicest, most wonderful, kind-hearted person can turn mm -hmm. and become that. And there was, there was a, the prison experiment in the 70s that, that showed that there's other multiple experiments that have shown that, that that's just what people do. It's a social psychology phenomenon. And when you come into a workplace and this is the environment that you're in, it's fight or flight. And if you fight and you're with it, then you play the game. You drink the Kool-Aid and you play the game and you fight with them and you turn into something horrible. But you know, for every horrible leader out there, they have families who love them. They have people who will vouch for them. They have friends who say they're great people. So it doesn't mean that that's who they are in general. It's just, that's who they've become. That's what the environment has turned them into. And that's why what I do is, is creating environments physically to help empower people to not become that. It's a hard game, it's a hard game. But when you try to create change, there's two ways. It's either you create change from inside. I mean, even as a person, right? It's either you create change on the inside and sit and meditate. And that may work for a lot of people, particularly if you're introverted, it works. But for other people, it doesn't work that way. You need to change your environment. Change the paint color of your house, bring in plants, open the windows, have light, bring in more energy, positive energy. If you do that externally and you bring that externally, it does the same thing. And that's what my job is, is creating that externally so that it can create change from the inside. Mm. Yeah, definitely the external environment definitely plays a role. Um, so say somebody, you know, you came into a workplace and say, I don't know, the company was bought out and now new management's taking over and they, you know, they were told that it's a very toxic environment and there was a lot of bullying going, going on and, and say that whoever the new leadership team that's taking over this company, let's say they are from Gen Z, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not about, they want to, you know, they have more of a forward thinking uh, mindset. They, you know, kind of want more of a, you know, a Google type of environment to foster more cooperation amongst workers, no competitive craziness. 
you know, going on where people are literally manipulating each other and people kind of have to constantly watch their, their backs with these covert, um, you know, sabotaging mind games that people are playing, um, which causes exhaustion really. And I really, I, from, from what I saw when I was in those environments, it actually affects the quality of production because, you know, they're tasked with producing you're, you're supposed to, your task was solving problems. You're tasked with coming up with innovative solutions. How could you possibly, when you're so stressed out and have anxiety over if, you know, your coworker gave you the right requirements for the project or not? And she doesn't care because she could easily say, well, you didn't listen properly, right? That's right. That's <laughs> the right. right. The gaslighting involved. So now management, you know, they want to shift it. They don't want this toxic culture anymore. They want this, you know, much more playful, happy environment because they do want to produce quality work and be known for that. So what would you do? The first thing that was exciting to me is that you said it's led by Gen Z. The cool thing about Gen Z is this is the generation that grew up during this, that grew up with technology. It's harder to change the minds of people who are my generation, I'm Gen X, or people who are older than me, <clears throat> excuse me. And these are normally the leaders of the big organizations that you have right now. And it's harder to change their minds because they grew up in a social environment that um, enabled powerful people, that enabled you to be power and dictate that power and control is reinforced and encouraged, okay? Gen Z is not like that. So Gen Z is already different. Today, my I've developed a concept, a workplace concept that I call the workplace of you. And this came out of the response of COVID because what I am encouraging all my clients and all the organizations right now to do is to no longer think of a place or your corporate office as the place that people have to come to. Because it's like you said, you know how you said that people are motivated differently. Everyone's motivated, motivated differently. Some people are motivated by being around other people. Some people are motivated just by doing their own thing or to have candles around them, or, you know, they're motivated because they know they're going to see their children after, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, you should, the focus of companies should be on you and what empowers you, what motivates you, not the other way around. It's not, okay, you need to be empowered by us. You need to be motivated by us. We're going to give you a space. You work, you work there. It's no longer, that's not the case anymore, especially with the great resignation and everything that's going on. Now it's about you. So there should be, the first thing is choice. Employees, workers need to have choice. That's about, that's what the workplace of you is all about. It's about choice. You should have the choice to work in whatever environment that motivates you or in which you feel most motivated, whether that's at home, whether that's in the office with other people, whether that's in a coffee shop, whether that's in the library, you know, for those who are doing business travel, it could be at an airport, it could be at a hotel, wherever it is that you feel most motivated, that you are, that motivates you, that's where you should choose to work. And, and the good thing about a Gen Z leadership is that's not new to them. Gen Z are the are the you know the, the group of individuals who have social followings and have started their own organizations and companies and followings that you know are 
100% remote, 100% through these virtual tools. So this isn't new to them. And the creation of a new work environment that enables this kind of what you were saying, uh, work collaboration and getting in, you know, no toxic environments. They are the ones who can lead that because there is no resistance to change. It's seamless. It's a seamless transition into that. And the thing I think that they respond to the most is because they've grown up in this environment where things are digital. They've talked to their grandparents at two years old across another country through FaceTime. And that's not a problem for them, right? That's so normal to them. When you create any kind of creativity and productivity and innovation, when you talk about problem solving, when you talk about creating new ideas, when you talk about the number one thing that will stifle it, hands down every time, is a non-psychologically safe environment. When you know, I don't want to bring up an idea because that person's going to knock me down. They're going to throw it under. They're going to throw me under the bus. They're going to take it as their own idea. They're going to shoot me down anyway. That's. They're going to call it a stupid idea anyway. So why will I try? That's the number one way to knock it down. The cool thing about Gen Z is, and this generation is that they are the generation of possibilities because they weren't limited to say an encyclopedia a book that tells you what you know what what's happening or a magazine or a thing they have the world at their fingertips the world of options another example is my generation for um chooses their to root for um their favorite sports team based on proximity, because that's our world, right? Based on proximity. It's either the college you went to, the city you grew up in, that's your chosen football team, based on that. Gen Z, they choose their favorite sports team based on a country or a place that they've never even visited, but that's the team that they root for. And they wear those jerseys, or they root for that. It could even be a team they've never even seen, or a sport they've never even seen. That's the difference. And that difference is significant. And, and I, I, I talk about this because, because you mentioned Zen, Gen Z as, as the leaders, those would be my ideal environments to work with because it's easier. I would, it's almost like they would need to teach me their language so that I work together with them to create an environment with them. Mm-hmm. It's harder the other way around. Yeah, I mentioned Gen Z because you know they're the they're the up and coming you know generation mm-hmm. that are taking over you know with leadership roles and such. And what happens is with e- with each previous generation, um, you know we always kind of change a bit. We see what our parents went through. Um, you know we see, or we've you know we had internships or whatever, and we've got a taste of what's going on in the workplace, or we we hear things too. And, you know, um, it, the, there's always a, a shift. There's a, like, for example, like what I've noticed is um, I'm a millennial. So I've noticed that, you know, our, our, the millennials parents, like we were raised in the 80s, um, 80s and 90s, you know, our parents really, the majority of it anyways, due to the culture, they weren't really, um, I don't know, I, like not so like coddly with their children. Um, I would say like they were just heavily invested in working a lot and such. And so now what I'm seeing with the millennial parents is I'm seeing a lot of coddling. I'm seeing a lot of um, constantly doing something with your child. 
um, you know, like wanting to, you know, play with them a lot. Like I'm not saying it's wrong or good, but I'm seeing two extremes, <laughs> you know, so, I'm seeing, so we do, you know, so it seems like with every generation, yes. they, they flip it around um, based on what they've experienced or saw. So, and what their, what their environment is, what their world is. Cause it's like what you said, if, you know, if the people who are Gen Xers in your, in your experience or in your, in your purview have not been as present with their children as the millennials have, it could be because they had to go to work. They had to go into the office. They had to spend their workday in the office. So that became their focus. Whereas perhaps the millennials have better flexibility where they don't have to come to work on Mondays or on Fridays, or, you know, they, they have email now. And so they can you know, leave work early and just answer on emails or, you know, they have a cell phone and they can just, you know, take calls, which the, which the Gen Xers and even the previous generations did not have. And you'll find what's exciting is that every generation that, that comes is always a reflection of their environment. And that's what's exciting. It is exciting. Um, and, and you're right. It'll be interesting to see what the Gen Zers do and what their world is going to be like. <laughs> and then from there on, yeah. Well, we'll see. It just seems like to me, if we look at, you know, like the 60s and 70s, 80s and 90s, um, there is always kind of this narcissistic, uh, I would say culture. Um, and I think what's happened is just recently, I think that we just shine, a, there's more awareness around what narcissism is. Mm -hmm. And so people are now able to recognize it more than they were before. I think before it was very, I would say like the 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, it was more, more of the, the few that knew about it and be more people that would like, maybe more intellectuals or people in the psychology community. Um, it wasn't so widespread. Like I never really, I never really saw content around it as much as I do today. Like it's, mm -hmm. and everyone's saying it, you know, so it's really turned into, I mean, it's great. So now it's like first comes awareness in order to like shift, Correct. you know, that predominant behavior in our society that looks as if it's being rewarded and that's why it's thriving well you know how you know how that is you know what is contributing to dissolving that is things like what you do which is bring awareness to self-love to self-care and to mental health that awareness has never been around before. It's unprecedented how much more people are aware of the importance of mental health and taking care of yourself. And people like you are enabling that space and that environment and you're vibrating out. And that is what we need. That is exactly what we need. Because again, when you start with, when you are connected with your purpose and your humanity, that's the time you see what's not right. Because otherwise you wouldn't see it. You take it as normal. Oh, it is what it is. Let's just vibrate in that same frequency. Let's just, you know, social psychology will take over. Okay, I guess it's just, the it's normal. It's normal. So then you take on those behavioral traits and the next thing you know, you become a narcissist. 
you know, because it becomes normal. But what you are doing and the space that you are creating for the world, that's why it's so important because you're vibrating out something else. You're vibrating out. This is connect with who you are, know who you are, connect with who you are, love who you are. And if you don't know, we'll give you the space. We'll give you the things. We'll give you the tools. We'll give you what you need to help you get there. Then we can start to see the negative around us for what it is. And that's exactly, I think, what you're saying is now we're hearing narcissistic, we're hearing psychopaths, we're hearing workplace bullying, even school bullying. We're here, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's like all of a sudden we're waking up to it. It had been existing before, but now awareness, as you said, is the first phase. Now change can occur. So you, my friend, are in a great, wonderful space, and the world should be grateful for people like you for starting these vibrations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was really one of the main drivers of starting happy being well was is just, you know, just seeing all of this <laughs> predominant narcissism in our society and you kind of like, you know, shake your head a bit. I'm like, well, you know, I could see how people can just morph into one, you know, what is that saying? If you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens. It's, it's a product of the environment. It's a product of the environment. It just, it, it happens, you know, and it happens to the best of us, mm-hmm. the best of us without the intent. And like I said, for every narcissist out there, there are people who love them and adore them and, and feel that they're the kindest, most loving, wonderful people talk to their children, talk to their Friends, talk to their spouses, you know, talk, you'd never guess that somebody that good could be that evil to other people in the workplace. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times. It's why I've, I wrote my book on workplace experience. It's why I'm speaking so loudly out there about how work environments that are like that should not exist. We should not have that kind of an environment anymore. We just shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So the two of us are vibrating from different places, but we're vibrating the same sound so let's keep being noisy to make change mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely I, you know from my experience of people that have you know full spectrum narcissistic personality disorder um because you know narcissist our society is so narcissistic that we all exhibit narcissistic traits right we all have some of this to some degree it's just that there's people that have all of the traits and they're, you know, fully, they have literally narcissistic personality disorder where they act. That's, that's when it becomes dangerous. They become dangerous um, psychologically to other people because these people are predators. Um, so, but the thing, what I'm seeing is the trickle down, the hierarchy effects. So I think that, you know, everyone's goes to work and, you know, they, they're, they're in these narcissistic environments and they slowly morph into one in order to either survive or thrive in that corporate environment. And I really do think they take, I don't think it shuts off. I think they take it home. And I think that, you know, the kids, you know, they, maybe they start bullying their kids or start gaslighting their kids. And they, I don't even think it's a conscious Thing that's happening. They just, I think they're doing it, you know, maybe they are, you know, maybe they are conscious of what's happening. I think most people are unconscious as to what's even, you know, what gaslighting is. And yet they're learning, they're doing it by sheer existence, like, because it's being done on them. So they're just, 
like a parrot kind of parroting back that behaviorisms to thrive, but I don't think most people are really aware of really truly what gaslighting is um, to even recognize it, but they, they do end up adopting that style of language. And I think this is where we're seeing the kids um, becoming bullies and it's, and we've seen horrific, it's the acts of violence at schools among kids, you know, shooting and even killing. Like, you know, one time I heard, you know, like knives, you know, stabbing children. I mean, it's just, and I, I think it's just this acceleration of pressure and the bullying, you know, that the, the adults are bringing home. And they're taking that on their kids. So I really feel like it starts with the, the workplace. I think that's really the heart because that's where we spend most of our time. And then it trickles over to family life, home life. Then the kids at school, trickles, it trickles over to literally the culture um, of our children's school on the, on the playgrounds because the, the parents are molding their children. So I think that's, it's a really huge issue. I agree. But I do want to add hope to that because as we were talking about earlier with the generations and how the generations change, I do want to ho add hope to that because the generation of the baby boomers, they were around during the time of the war and the generations before that. If you've been in a time of war, narcissistic, when you're a true narcissist, true narcissists are normally, it's not something you're born with. It's something that develops and it's something that normally happens when something traumatic happens to you because it's a self-preservation thing. Uh, that's what narcissistic is. It's a self-preservation. Um, and people who are in the time of the war, especially develop that. And so you see that a lot in that generation. I'm not saying that all generations don't have that. And that is the only way that you can be narcissistic. That's not true, but that is prevalent when that happens. And as you were saying, every generation changes um, and it changes the way they are changing in the way that they're treating their children, coddling their children. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, but maybe there were children who have become bullies or who have become narcissistic tendencies um, at home because their parents weren't around. Their parents were at work. They were not around. And so then they've developed it. Perhaps in the change in uh, generations, they then themselves will now be wanting to be closer to their, be more present to their children, be closer to them, and to make sure that they don't have the same experience that they had so that that generation can change. So I do wanna leave it with that hope that it's not necessarily um, a, hopeless, a hopeless stream of um, you know, narcissism <laughs> and, you know, and, and because it does change and I've seen it change. So, and you know, again, people like you create the change, people like you, not only in what you do, but in your generation, and how you enable you know, children and the next generation. I mean, if you decide to have children, if that's what you want, but it's, cause it's not just children, it's the people around you, it's your communities, it's your society. It's like what you said, your work and the people you who work for you. Mm -hmm. It's how you, you resonate out from there and then that trickles out. So mm -hmm. hang in there, hang in there. <laughs> it's not hopeless, I promise you. <laughs> Well, this is exactly one of the main reasons why I created the Happy Being Well, you know, community and releasing a lot of education around self-love and self-care activities. Um, because once you can 
create that for yourself, you're not going to want to constantly, you know, um, get that from other people all the time. And that is really one of the, you know, drivers to narcissistic behavior is they're constantly seeking out supply from other people. Like they're attention, whether it's attention or love, attention, um, manipulation, like they're, it's always outside of themselves. They can't mm -hmm. generate it themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so that is one of the reasons where it's like, we all really do need to know how to bring joy for ourselves, like do it ourselves, bring happiness ourselves, you know, not rely on yes. others, you know, yes. um, pamper ourselves at home, create a spa day, you know, just feel that relaxation, that love, that joy for yourself. You know, it's like, it's pretty much kind of like dating yourself. Um, when you think about it, because you're kind of romance, romancing yourself, you know, by letting mm -hmm. candles around your bath, um, mm -hmm. you know, burning some, you know, incense um, around you or using an aromatherapy diffuser, you know, just creating a really great um, environment for yourself and taking that time out to self-reflect, recharge, reboot, and mm -hmm you're getting to know yourself better because you're taking that time out as well. So yes, that's one of, this is why we're doing this podcast. This podcast is really all about self-love. And so, yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying it's hopeless, uh, but I do like shining a light on it. So, because there's still a lot of people that are not fully well-versed in it. So they're just in the environment, like you said, just thinking it's normal and thereby unconsciously you know, um, just duplicating it. And they're just not even, but they just, yeah, they just kind of just go along with the program type of thing. So, mm -hmm. um, but yes, I definitely see, you know, hope, of course, because I'm seeing a lot of education awareness around it. And of course, you know, people are learning about self-love and that's really where it starts too. It's kind of like, knowing you know who the enemy is <laughs> what it looks like how it speaks how it dresses yeah. um so you can recognize it and, and then start to learn how to you know not be a predator to that enemy anymore right mm -hmm. and um not take self-love so yes yes and be connected to your goodness mm -hmm. so you absolutely. don't resonate the bad absolutely yeah yeah so that is, um, yeah. So thanks for this conversation. Likewise, likewise. I love your energy. And yeah. I appreciate what you do. And the world needs more people like you. So keep resonating. Mm -hmm. So if people want to find out more about you, um, so you're a consultant and you come in and create positive, more productive workplaces. Well, what I do is I create a workplace experience. So right now, because of because the pandemic has shaken up the idea and the definition of a workplace, whereas before people always thought a workplace meant the office. And even though I had been saying it's not necessarily the office, it is the place in which you work. Now they get that. Now people understand that, that when I say workplace and a workplace experience, it's empowering you to be productive in wherever it is you're working from. So if you're working in a company, I help companies to make sure that you have what you need in your home 
to be productive. I mean, people are still working on their sofa or working on the dining room table, which is not sustainably productive. You're going to get back aches. You're going to get, uh, you know, you're going to get hunched over. It's not productive. You need, it's helping you understand where in your home has the best lighting can help you to be, you know, sustainably productive. And right now we're only talking about home and the office. Eventually people will be working in, in train stations, you know, on airplanes or on trains in hotel rooms or wherever it is that they want to be. And it's, enabling you to have what you need to be productive wherever that is because your workplace environment is so important it's the same thing with your background your zoom background um you know people have come to think okay i can i can work in my pajamas and technically you can from the bottom down but if you start you know dressing in your pajamas as you're giving a meeting you know hosting a meeting it's not it's not going to be reflecting a work environment that um, is empowering for you and for other people and you will not be respected and you don't know that because you don't understand the, the psychology behind it but that's where i give you help that's where i help you to do that so i help organizations transform into this new work from anywhere environment where your corporate office is part of a complete ecosystem rather than the center of work okay cool yeah definitely well yeah how what you wear is how you feel so yeah, it, you know, is. It, it really is. And I always never understood um, work, you know, some corporate cultures or some corporate um, offices, um, you know, they really, I don't know, have a really low lax dress style. And, but it truly influences how you feel. <laughs> so it's, yeah. I know there needs to be like a medium. You don't want to be always in a, in a suit, but. There is something to it when when you're in a suit, though, you do feel different versus wearing leggings and sweat, you know, if you're wearing sweatpants, you know what I mean? Like when you're in a suit, you do feel, I'm going to say more confident. You're, you know, you feel more a professional, you feel like well put together. It's just a, there's a psychological element to it. So I do feel it does definitely influences your reflect something about you too because now that you're working in zoom or working remotely there is now people do have to understand that when when before when you give your first impression or when you are in front of people it's just what you see on you but now you have this whole rectangle around you and that reflects it so you can't i'm sorry but you can't work from the bathroom you can't work from a closet and even a bedroom is iffy so there is now consideration for all of that, but, you know, we're just transitioning and the only purpose for my coaching, you know, employees and companies in, in this transition is to empower them to thrive within this new space. And that's really what it is. And, and for the, for the worker side, it's helping them to know how to thrive and, and have an environment that allows them to thrive from anywhere. And from the leadership side, it's, most of my coaching is helping them to learn to listen. How do you listen to your employees so that you can enable them to thrive? Because it's not anymore about you and what you want. It's about what they want and what empowers them. Mm-hmm. And study after study have shown has shown that when people are happy and they bring the best of themselves to work, companies thrive exponentially and their businesses grow exponentially. So it is a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. For sure. It's when you work, your brain performs better. Your memory is improved when you're happy. 
countless amounts shown when you're depressed or stressed out, you know, your memory is like depleted. You're not thinking properly or clearly your energy levels go down. I mean, it's, yeah, it never made sense to me. <laughs> Why <laughs> happy workers? But um, yeah, so anyhow, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And um, for those listeners who want to reach out to me, my website is www.workplaceexperience.net and experience is spelled with an X. So it's www.workplaceexperience.net. Okay. Um, and can they find you on Instagram or Facebook? Yes, you can. It's the same thing. Look for workplace experience. X with workplace experience. It's one word. Experience is spelled with an X. So workplace experience. And I am. I'm on Facebook. I'm on. Uh, see, I did have a Twitter account, although I'm not so active on Twitter. But I do have Facebook and um, um, Instagram. Obviously, the website. And look for me on LinkedIn if you want to as well. It's Lenny Rivera on LinkedIn. Okay, great. And I, I will have a clickable link in the podcast description that will link you to her website and awesome. also Instagram as well. Okay, guys, have a wonderful, happy day. Sending lots of love, light, and blessings your way. Enjoy your day, guys. Make it a good one.